Yeah, it looks like you're in a library there, huh? <laughs> I like the background. <laughs> yeah, this is just, you know, my casual home library where I recline. <laughs> so your background is uh, like what every everybody who gets to the cultism, you buy one book and then you read the book and it says, you need 10 more. And then you buy those 10 yeah. and those 10 require 100 more. <laughs> yeah. These are just the fundamental Aleister Crowley texts, you know? Right. Just yeah, exactly. And exactly. very preliminary aspects of Thalema. Right, exactly. You need approximately, you know, 500 <laughs> books for them. What's the highest level of realization of Thalema? It's having 10,000 books, basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, how yeah. The grades are actually determined by your book collection. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Anyways, uh, welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast and uh, have a returning guest. We have Jake Coburn, who is a visionary artist, magic practitioner, and recently I went through his uh, Magic 101 course, which is really excellent. So I figured it'd be a good chance to bring him on today. We'll go over um, a little bit about the course and sort of the themes um, that are planned week by week. And uh, personally, I went through it slowly. It was It was launched as a 12-week course, right? It was 12 weeks. Yeah, I think in retrospect, it could have been a 12-month course because there's a lot there. Exactly. Um, it exactly. was mostly to accommodate to, I guess, keeping a dynamic pace as well as to allow for more uh, community building and for more interaction between the mm -hmm. students and things like that. But it could have right. easily been a 12-month course. And so if anybody's taking it as a pre-recorded thing, they can take as much time as they need, really, because it's just about their own practice more than anything. Exactly. Now that it's pre-recorded, you can work on your own pace and kind of go through the lesson slowly, right? So uh, figure, uh, hold on a second, I'll share my screen here and uh, we can kind of check it out. Uh, let's see. Are you able to see now? Should be. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So yeah, um, this is Inside the Magic 101. And uh, also, I think that you had mentioned, um, I guess before we start to, you had mentioned that this might um, this might be like translated into a book at some point. Is that right? Yeah, I'm currently working on a book. It's going to be published by Uellen Publishing in 2024. And okay. it's going to be different. I actually think that the online course is going to be significantly more substantial, just given space limitations in the book. But a lot of the major themes from the course will be in the book, as well as a few added things that I didn't really consider when I was creating it. That's pretty cool. You know what this course reminds me of? There's a book, um, uh, not exactly, but there are some parallels. There's a book with uh, Lon Milo Duquette and David Schumacher put together a book called, oh, um, right. yeah. what's it called? Something like The Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic or something like that? I think that's and, what it's uh, called. Yeah, that's a, that is a great book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. But the, uh, what's cool about this course and that book as well is that it kind of gives you sort of a broad uh, perspective. It gives you different paths. You know, you lay a foundation and um, uh, you go over some basics and things like that. But then also later as you go through the course, there's different instructors and you go through different paths like Thelema, witchcraft and, um, you know, a whole array of things. So I think that uh, it, it's very well suited for a beginner because number one, you get the foundation and you get sort of um, sort of like a, uh, what would you say, like a smorgasbord of you know, options, I guess you'd say. But then also, even if you have experience, there's just so much information in it that I think that if somebody went through it and said they didn't learn anything, they'd probably be lying. I mean, to be honest, because there's just so much in it, right? And so many different perspectives and uh, lessons and teachers. So there's some, there's something in it for everyone, I would say. Yeah. Right. I wanted it to be applicable to both beginners and more advanced practitioners. I think that 
for myself in the online courses that I've taken. Like I've taken, you know, a lot of really good courses, but a lot of them kind of stop at a sort of beginning level. And then I had to do so much of the search on my own in books and through mentors and things to find the kind of more advanced stages of practice. And I guess I wanted to incorporate some of that and in a, sequ a sequential form for people to go through it and be able to actually start to work with some of those more advanced stages of ritual and practice if they wanted to. Right. You know, and then at the same time, I kind of believe that there isn't like one essential path of magic you know i think there's it's actually a danger and a lot of people do tend to become too rigid in conformity with one particular school or one particular path you know and i kind of see those as fundamental principles and techniques and disciplines that then should be eventually wielded by the practitioner to creatively wielded to take their own form and mm -hmm. so i wanted to introduce people to a lot of different perspectives so we have chaos magicians you know we have members of the temple of psychic youth we have traditional thelemites people that practice you know paganism and witchcraft people that you know do more sex magic or embodiment type practices uh you know my friend sean is was a buddhist monk for two years so that's that's sort of a, a whole other thing so all of these different types of I wanted to introduce people to all these different kinds of magic to help people realize that it isn't one thing, you know, and that there's not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. And that if you find something that works for you or that resonates with you, that's really what's important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny that a lot of people that get interested in the occult or these sort of spiritual practices and magic there it's generally out of an open-minded perspective right like they're trying to they're on exploration phase but what's also kind of ironic which you kind of alluded to earlier was like then those choose the lemma or one you know whatever path it is and like no this is the right one so it's like they start as open-minded but i often see people like regress towards like you know more of like a dogmatic sectarianism or even like totally. within a school of magic like this is the right one within this school or something like that and it's like yeah, I think I think being uh, aware of those tendencies is very important too, as well, right? Like, I mean, some of the effective rituals that I've done are ludicrous. Look nothing like what you would consider traditional ceremonial magic, you know? Exactly. And I think that that's that's the beauty of magic is that it's. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the the idea of the true will touches in on this, but it's ultimately about our connection to ourselves and our own power and potential. Right. What did right. Pope say? He said something like, uh, instead of slavishly repeating like someone else's ritual a million times, it's better to do your own ritual, you know, authentically once or something, something along those lines, right? Uh, it's like, you know, 0.6% of his followers have ever listened to. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, all right, let's, let's check out, uh, as you can see, I'm actually in the course now, and this is uh, week one. So week one, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to show everything in the course because that, you know, that's going to give everything away and there's just a lot of content anyways. But as you can see, there's videos, there's like an introduction video here. Um, and what's also cool, what I like that you did is um, like in the text lessons, right? So say you're going to learn about, let's say, for example, the magical diary or uh, let's see if I click this one. Uh, I believe most of them have this in there. Yeah. So this is what I thought was pretty cool, too, is that. Um, so like for all the text lessons, you also have an MP3. So some people, they want to take things in by video or audio format, right? Almost like audiobook 
platform or podcast? I actually had one student who signed up that's blind, like, um, you know, he was born that way. And so I wanted to make sure that it could accommodate for all people. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think that's really cool too. So I, I've also met people that say they don't really absorb information well by reading. They're more uh, audio based, I guess. So sure, I wanted sure. it applicable yeah, yeah. to that as well. That's re- I think that's really cool though. Like you can you uh you can go through either the MP3s or um you know read the lessons here, and you have uh e- each module pretty much includes a list of like text or audio lessons, uh, videos as well, and then. Also like practical exercises, right? Like for example, this is lesson one or the week one. So you go through the elements. Uh, there's some like YouTube videos and other like video uh, components that you can check out as well, which I thought was cool. And uh, yeah, generally each lesson, not only is it like, it's not just information, but there's you know practical um, uh, things that you can apply each week, right? Like practical exercises and uh, let's see. For example, here you have like uh, audio meditations. Um, one thing I have to say is like the uh, each week you have a different guest lecture. These are like excellent lectures. I mean, if you're like a fo- uh, fa- fan of podcasts or something like that, these are like podcasts, but on a whole nother level because it's you have an expert in the field just going, you know, delivering like an excellent lecture that yeah, you can't really see elsewhere, I would say. Very, very good lectures. And so here, uh, week one, you had uh, Carl Abrahamson. That was a really, really good lecture. Very, very good one to start out with, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Um, a fantastic lecture on the history of magic. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And then you also include, uh, here you have uh, the, the sigil of the three liquids. So it's pretty cool. You also include, like, unique ritual or exercise you can do based on that, like, the, the teacher of the week, right, as well. Mm-hmm. So, right, I wanted to do rituals that were from their specific traditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, what's also cool is like, I mean, for me, I knew most of the lectures. I think there's only like a couple that I haven't heard of, but really gives you a chance to like learn from different perspectives and kind of look and say you listen to Carl's lecture, you know, check out his books, get into contact with him. For example, I watched this video here and I ended up doing a podcast with Carl later, right? Like connecting with him on, you know, through email mm-hmm. and we did a podcast. So um yeah there's just all kinds of cool little routes you can take here as well um and then let's see let's look at week two here yeah it's very it's so it's almost like i think you mentioned early in the course like your goal was almost to make a course or like a video course that's sort of based on modern magic right was that kind of like the inspiration or like the foundation of it as well yeah i was using that as sort of an inspiration for the structure of it but the content of course is different Sure, sure, sure. Where there were in, you know, very, very important fundamental concepts that were explained in modern magic, I included it. I, mm-hmm. you know, I actually, you can read the books simultaneously while doing the course and you'll see that the information differs, you know, fairly dramatically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, here, week two is good. This is like, for me, this is like one of the most important parts because if you don't have this part down, I think that like if you don't have your asana, your pranayama meditation, I think that this is pretty much the base of all magic. And that's one thing I lo- always liked about Thalema is that Crowley brought those aspects into, you know, he sort of imported like the Eastern uh, Raja Yoga and mystical practices, Buddhism, sort of into the Western practices, right? So giving sure. yourself a greater foundation. Um, and then you have guided meditations here. Uh, the lecturer was really good. You mentioned he was a previous Buddhist monk as well. So I thought that mm-hmm. was a very good lecture and then includes a guided meditation here. 
That was really, really cool. Um, I'm curious, you had so many guests, like, uh, I mean, not to play favorites or anything, but I'm sure you learn like a lot from different ones. Some of them were probably like more rehashes of stuff you already knew to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. But was it like, uh, out of all the lectures, as a student to the facilitator, I guess, right? Like, out of all the lectures, which one did you walk away with? Like, wow, I learned so much in that one. Like, that one totally blew my mind. And maybe you even rewatched it several times. I really love Mickey Pellerano's lecture about the minor arcana of the tarot. That one's a bit more advanced, I guess. Like it might be a little overwhelming for somebody who's a total beginner, but that's information that I've studied in books, but he just has such a great way of explaining it as an artist and in a more poetic and descriptive way that really let that information click with me. And now relating the minor arcana cards to the deckhands in astrology and seeing you know, like, oh, the four of pentacles is sun and Capricorn. And it's like, it helps me understand the energy that that card is representing so much more. And that's been really helpful for me in my own tarot practice. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that one. And I don't know. I loved all of them. I, I agree. Carl's was fantastic. Um, uh, I really loved Lon Milo Duquette's talk, of course, and Mitch Horowitz. That was fantastic. They were all so good. I really can't pick a favorite. Mm, yeah, it's hard to pick. Uh, I think Lons is available free on your YouTube channel, right? I saw something yeah, that okay. one for everybody to enjoy. Yeah, that's a good preview. If you're interested in like um, sort of like what the weekly lecture is like, um, I believe Jake has that free. It's only in audio, not on video form, though, right? On your uh, YouTube. Right. Okay, cool. So that's a that's a cool preview for somebody who's interested in sort of like what the weekly lectures are like, right? Um, and yeah, Lons, I mean, I've listened to a, a lot of lectures on Thelema and sort of um, like introductory concepts, the main concepts of Thelema, but that one, like, like you totally killed it. That's, that's probably the best I've ever heard is like an introduction, introduction to like the main, you know, your true will, uh, holy guardian angel, you know, general um, introductory concepts of Thelema from a guy who, how long has Lon been a Thelemite? Like 50 something years or something. He's talking that's from quite a, I think. Yeah, quite a wealth of experience, right? So, um, yeah, that was a really good one. I agree with you. Like, this one is so, uh, Mickey's lecture, so information. I mean, it's it's so packed with so much information, but he presents it in a very uh, sort of like, he takes you on a journey, right? It's like, not not in a dry way. It's not like, okay, this deacon matches with this. It's not, not like in a dry way, but he brings you <clears throat> on a very like fun archetypal kind of journey, I thought, which was cool about it. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I definitely enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah. But yeah, as you can see, like we went through one and two, here's three. Um, there's some journal exercises, which you can go through. Uh, this one starts with sigil magic and Kabbalah. Um, but yeah, definitely. This is, this is definitely a great course that I think, as you mentioned, it was initially launched as a 12 week, but I mean, it could easily take a year to go through or six months or pretty much how, how long you want to take, right? Work at your mm -hmm. own pace. Yeah. I, mean, I think it, I think it's better. It depends on the temperament of the student. I personally might not do this because of just how I like to absorb information, but it might be better if somebody's stuck with one of the lessons to really kind of master those concepts and practices and information before moving forwards. Mm -hmm. You know, just if you have it, why not? But yeah, exactly. I can't <laughs> or you, do go, survey, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, something as a whole, and then I'll go back and kind of focus on individual things. Yeah, exactly. Or like even just to see the information, like you can go through all of it pretty quick just to sort of get a glance, like a big picture of what what's in the course and kind of, you know, 
have like a preview and then slowly go through the lessons like it's some some of it like for me personally some of it was like extremely familiar i can kind of skip it or just glance it but then there's right. other parts where it's like i want to like mickey's lecture want to watch that over and over again and like take notes and absorb it right so uh yeah for sure there's cool cool parts of that and then let's see what was four you can see this goes over more uh detail about the kabbalah and uh let's see also what's kind of what's kind of cool is uh you can't really skip around like it, it kind of makes you go through the lessons too right like you gotta make sure that you're actually going through the course as well um there's some video exercises yeah this was a really good one too with dr shoemaker that was about kabbalah i believe right Mm -hmm. Kabbalah lecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see what do we got here. Yeah, so this one was really good. I thought this, this is an interesting one to discuss because uh, this one you go through dream, uh, dream work, lucid dreaming, and uh, you go through the Monroe Institute uh, stuff, which is interesting because recently, I think Vice put out an article about this. Like, this is something that the CIA was like, studying like they're they're getting like heavy into what the monroe institute was doing and astral projection and um mm -hmm. i don't know what they're probably for like psyops or like the cold war like <laughs> they're probably using it kind of like we mentioned earlier right like using these techniques for other they, they were using it for remote viewing on enemy territories and to find uh prisoners of war and things like that which is pretty fascinating yeah, very interesting stuff but like having done these um the monroe, monroe institute recordings you know they're they go with like they use like mineral beats and <clears throat> it's pretty much effective for like anyone who tries it out like you just sit there and kind of it's almost like a guided meditation but it's they're like astral protection training wheels you know so if yeah. you've never done it before successfully it can kind of take you right there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um having you know you went through this course and you you uh facilitate all these students what do you think are some like common misconceptions about these practices and magic in general um people i think we talked about this a little bit already but people tend to cling i think a little too tightly to the rules of magic which might sort of stifle their own creative impulses or their own impulses i'm kind of a fuck around and find out kind of guy for better or worse i don't want anybody to hurt themselves and i don't want you know, anybody to use magic in a way that would affect another person negatively or somebody's life negatively. But I do think that it's generally safe to kind of try things out, even if it's not already in a book or something like that, just to see mm -hmm. what happens mm -hmm. and to be a sort of a scientist of your own experiences to keep decent records and to see what works and what doesn't, because you might, ex you might discover something new that works for you or Mm -hmm. Maybe if you shared it with other people, it would even work for other people as well. Mm -hmm. And people tend to say, you know, am I doing this right? Or you know, what is the right way to do this? And mm -hmm. I wanted it to be kind of like cooking. There's a few recipes, but also there's some of the principles. And once you understand how to do that, you can make your own recipes, create your own rituals and your own uh, forms of magic for your own means. Yeah, exactly. I think... Uh... A lot of people who get into this, they'll do the LBRP for like five years. And I remember like, because I mean, early on, I got really interested in Nokian magic, like a few years in. And, and I remember a lot of people like, no, you need to you need to do the LBRP for five years. And Nokian's bad because people go crazy. And, you know, there's all these like, like myths mm -hmm. and superstitions and stuff like that. And even I think uh, 
I think Scott Stenswick, he's all, he's pretty big in the OTO. And I think he did a poll one time. He's like, how many people actually went crazy from doing who's practiced Enochian magic and <laughs> you know, who actually had experiences that like led them to madness. And it was like, it was something like lower than the statistic probability of somebody having a natural schizophrenic reaction to like anything basically. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of superstitions and, at the end of the day, too, it's like you kind of have to it's like life, right? You have to fall down. You have to burn your hand here and there. Um, I mean, you surely will have strong experiences or maybe scary experiences or things that can well, shock your system. But like what else in life? Like how do you learn something without like, you know, messing up here or there or having experiences that teach you? Right. It's like if you just play the safe, like I'm just going to read the same book over and over and do the LBRP, you're not really pushing yourself you're not expanding you're not you know learning yeah right? so i think the, yeah. bi the biggest misconception <laughs> is if you're interested in practical magic realizing that there's nothing really to get you know that any sort of form that might emerge in your life that can be perceived by your consciousness is going to be transitory illusory and it's ultimately you're going to lose that thing anyway mm -hmm. and you are the consciousness that that thing is emerging from so mm -hmm. i kind of see magic in a certain way the realize this sort of self-realization stuff is a trojan horse and magic because a lot of people they start out on a magical path to try to get something in their world but through doing the practices actually start to have shifts in consciousness that help open them up to deeper levels of awareness and then mm -hmm. once they're familiar with sort of the real self or the, the true will or the true self they tend to have less of a need to do practical results magic because they're not so attached to the phenomenon that arises and passes in our mm -hmm. world right it's sort of a shift to a bigger picture rather than these i need to do a ritual every day so i can pay the rent or you know these like little little uh things that people might get caught up in right but like you said mm -hmm. it's like these lessons along the way are sort of what shifts your perspective and your understanding what have you right yeah, and I think exploring your desires, especially gaining a certain level of mastery of being able to actually call those things into your life is one of the steps to reaching that level of awareness. <laughs> you know, it's more, I, you know more about Tantra than I do, but it seems like that's a fundamental perspective in Tantra that you have to kind of exhaust your desires or live through them rather than repress them. Otherwise, yeah. they become these sort of uh, kinks in our consciousness that exists in our psyches at a deep level. And I think magic, because of its effectiveness of being able to help people potentially realize a desire more easily uh, mm -hmm. and quickly, that it can actually expedite that process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very empowering. And it's also, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, kind of to go back to Tantra, like visiting back in the States and everything. I always think like in order to meet somebody that you really, a lot of guys think that like you just meet one girl and, you know, it's going to be all good. But at the end of the day, most people don't know what they want or what they like, what kind of person yeah. is a good match because they haven't really, you know, it's like saying, for example, I mean, not to compare people to food, that's, that's pretty bad. But it's like saying, if you've only eaten pizza, like pizza is the best food, it's the best match for me, but you've never tried sushi or Indonesian cuisine or, you know whatever right chinese food or what have you so uh, a lot of it is exploring just to find out what your own predispositions are right like what kind of person you are that's that's a huge part of it i think kind of exhausting yeah, the options and sort of finding what where you fit in right yeah so from a spiritual perspective i kind of see people expressing their desires in the world or sort of going towards them as 
a sacred process to help people ultimately realize their true will. You know, because like you said, say you really wanted to have a particular job or career and mm-hmm. you do magical rituals to get that and you get it and you realize that it's not, it doesn't satiate what you thought it would. Mm-hmm. That's really important feedback that can help somebody come much closer to discovering what their true will really is. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have that experience, they would still be caught in the illusion that that thing that they think they want is going to bring them what they actually want. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of uh, one interesting thing about magic. It, it, it kind of like uh, rewrites your, your whole system, right? Cause you, you realize like, like, what is your motivation? Why do you want that job? Why do you want that person or whatever? Right. And a lot of it is just the social conditioning, cultural conditioning, religious conditioning right but then actually being introspective and then getting that thing and then realizing like what was the motivation where was this wiring from right so it's sort of this like inner process of like it's almost like uh playing programs or like going on apps but then realizing like (laughs) it's like there's like, like a bunch of spyware going on right but you have to sort of you have to sort of like go through it to realize that, oh shit, it was spyware at the end of the day. Does that make sense? Like totally. Like most yeah. people are operating on these like autonomous spyware programs, right? So absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's very interesting. <clears throat> uh, let's see. So here also what's interesting, like I mentioned earlier, I got really into Enochian magic a few years back. And uh, what I found interesting about this and in this, I believe it was in the week, uh, week five here, you also kind of led a, I think you scribed texts like the 30th Aether, right? And uh, yeah. what's interesting about Enochian is like a lot of these other forms, they might take, you know, a little bit more time, a little bit more focus to experience something. But like everyone that I've exposed Enochian to, especially the 30th call, it's like the lightest, the lightest one, the most basic call, right? But uh, like everyone, including like people here in Korea that are barely open minded to any of this, everyone that I've exposed it to, they have these crazy like, whoa, what I saw, like, these are people that mm-hmm. know nothing even about Christianity or a cult or anything like that, right? Like, I don't know, I closed my eyes and I saw rainbows and angels and this being came to me. And these are people that are like not even open to this stuff. Right. So it's it's quite a powerful system. Right. What, what's your what's your take on that? Like, why why is this so effective? And like even when you did the call, like everyone had these like wild visionary experiences. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's really yeah. mysterious. It's <laughs> yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, I've wondered if it has something to do with the vibrations of the sounds that it creates some kind of wave of energy that might you know change the permutations of the reality matrix or some something like that i have no idea how it works i think no one really uh, totally understands it yeah Um, but yeah we actually check the correspondences on some of the things the students experience they're they're accurate you know and that's that's pretty cool. It's like people really actually got the, the download, you know, people actually had the visions that that correspond to the real content of what would be expected with those calls and match other people's experiences from the past and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really, it's always been really interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, whatever John D was doing, I mean, that's an interesting system that he came up with, you know, hundreds of years ago, right? Make, it makes you wonder like wow like what was up with that very interesting character in history um let's i would see. love to see a movie about john d would be really great 
Yeah, I know. It's surprising that like with all the rehashed like 500 Spider-Man movies and like <laughs> 300 Avenger movies, they don't have, you know, movies about these figures like Crowley or like John D. Yeah. I mean, John D would make sense because I mean, the guy was like an astrologer to Queen Elizabeth. I mean, this, he has like, a, you know, an actual, um, you know, precedence in history, right? Like as a yeah. academic as well. And, you know, coining the term the British Empire, I believe. And um, mm. you know, he, he has so much success in like science and other fields as well that you'd figure, you know, they'd make some sort of movie or something about it. Plus the occult side, that would be an interesting thing for people as well. Like, mm. I don't know. Yeah. I think both yeah. John D and Alistair Crowley would make oh. excellent movies. Um, mm. there was like a really terrible movie that was released somewhat recently about Alistair Crowley that was created, I think by one of the members of Iron Maiden or something produced. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Huh. It's like really bad. It's like Crowley reincarnates into the modern era as like a professor or something. <laughs> and he's like the satanic guy who's like seducing all these <laughs> that are students at the school. It's, it, it's terrible. But yeah, he, he would be a good choice for a really good movie by somebody who is kind of in mm-hmm. tune a bit with what was actually going on and won't overly sensationalize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe something like what they did with um, Parsons, like a Strange Angel kind of series like that. But I thought Strange Angel was really good. I mean, it was a little sensationalized, but I really enjoyed sure. it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Season one particularly was really good. Season two was mm-hmm. a little bit more kind of sensationalized or sort of stretched a bit. But season one, I thought was really, really good. Very, very well done. Um, all right. So it, was a, it went a bit more heavy on the orgy scenes. The second yeah. season. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't continue it too. Like, in and yeah, it was just getting good when. Yeah, yeah it's too bad. That's too bad. Um, all right. Yeah, let's look through here too. You have like some divination stuff here, and then uh, you go through the tarot, the I Ching, um, and that's the lecture we were talking about with Mickey. That's really good. Uh, let's see. Go through here as well. People can check this out. Uh, yeah, this one, this one was about witchcraft as well, um, which is something that I didn't really, I never really studied much about witchcraft. So the lecture was pretty interesting to me just to get a feel for it. Right. And so. Right. Yeah, me either. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not something I really studied that much. I think it has a bit more of a kind of feminine nature. So if mm-hmm. you're a bit more of a masculine essence person, mm-hmm. people turn towards the more masculine side of magic which is like mm-hmm. ceremonial magic and stuff like that right 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 uh and yeah for sure i mean like with any of these that we've even seen so far so say you watch like lesson five or six you're like oh nokian seems interesting there's hundreds of books to buy on this subject. i mean you can devote 10 years to studying 100 years to studying Enochian magic and not even get it all or even witchcraft here right like all of these can mm-hmm. take you on a journey that would last years or a lifetime basically right Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you know, I mean, was, just take one subject it's like archangels you could spend years working with archangels mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. really scratch the surface of that yeah absolutely uh now that the course is finished i'm kind of curious is there anything you regret you didn't add into it or like did you feel like you missed anything i mean we keep talking about how comprehensive it is but was there something like if you could have went back and added one more week or something well, I've been, I've been studying astrology much more deeply since I made this course. And so mm-hmm. I have a much more thorough understanding of what it really is. So I would probably revise some of the astrology components of it and to mm-hmm. include 
like I think orary and predictive astrology is a really fascinating divination method that's really mm -hmm. accurate and useful. So it would have been cool to include something like that. Um, around the third week, I had some people that were in the course that were kind of criticizing a bit of a lack of emphasis on ethics. And I do think that studying ethics in, you know, in tandem with studying and practicing magic is important because theoretically magic could be used to hurt yourself and other people if not used wisely. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm including in the book, but it could have perhaps been emphasized more at the beginning of the course or explained mm -hmm. a little bit, mm -hmm. touched on. Okay. Uh, you said you you mentioned you're studying astrology. Uh, are there any like books or resources that you recommend? A lot of people recommend like Chris Brennan's like uh, astrology podcast and book. And yeah. I mean, um, the astrology podcast is really, really thorough. I've mm -hmm. been kind of looking at it like I've been taught, I have a lot of friends here in Bali that are astrologers and really mm. advanced. So I, a lot of the time if I have questions, I'm just asking my friend. I've had a few readings also from different astrologers. And that's something that was one of the ways that I learned tarot was just getting like a boatload of tarot readings from different people. And so I've been kind of taking the same perspective with astrology. And I've been learning every time I get my natal chart read, mm. I understand something a little bit differently and and then mm -hmm. yeah i've just been looking for kind of specific books or tutorials online or courses mm -hmm. on different aspects of it there's right. one really good beginner astrology book um but I'm, I'm i'm totally forgetting the name of it right now but it's like really illustrated and uh it's it's very beautiful and colorful and i think it mm -hmm. does a really good job of clearly breaking it down yeah, a lot of people might recommend me, uh, I think it's Demetria George. I think it's called, um, <clears throat> I think it's a two-part series. It's called like Astrology and Theory and Practice. Um, right. I think I think Mickey recommended it as well at the end of his videos too, I think. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I have her book called Astrology and the Authentic Self. And it's really good, but it's a, it's a little bit more advanced. You definitely need to have a foundational understanding of astrology. And mm -hmm. definitely you should be able to already interpret a natal chart. Mm -hmm pretty early before you get to that book because that's more advanced stuff for sure yeah definitely astrology is uh an area i really want to uh, explore sometime it's the one that i understand the least for sure just because i've spent the least time studying it but it's definitely mm -hmm. something that uh i i'm kind of inspired to look into more these days uh let's see it's been really fun yeah luna yeah. gave a great introductory lecture on astrology and i thought she did mm -hmm. a really good job of covering oh. most of the bases for sure for sure very interesting. Uh, let's see, we have here. <clears throat> this one was cool because uh, for me personally, I think with you as well, like for me, my whole gateway into this was uh, growing up in California and honestly just taking like way too much acid. Like I was dosing every week, like just tripping balls all the time and like entering these crazy like mystical states that like, it's like once you see this kind of stuff, you know, there's no going back. It's like once you rip the veal open, like yeah, it's just hard to pretend that, you know, go to go into like a mundane, normal life and pretend nothing, nothing's happening. Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought this was a really cool one. Um, actually me personally, just because of my own background, I would have put this one like earlier on, like maybe have a psychedelic experience and come back to us and see <laughs> now, now mm. it's your perspective. Right. But, uh, uh, that being said, you know, not everyone should be taking these things obviously. Right. Like we mentioned earlier, like therapy and, 
<clears throat> realizing your own psychological issues and problems is very important too. And psychedelics can be dangerous for some people, you know? Um, yeah, I guess see. if you have a genetic predisposition to psychosis or other forms right. of mental, probably <clears throat> best to avoid it. But I mean, even in this part of the course, I was mostly looking at things from like a harm reduction perspective mm -hmm. and just being honest about it and how sure. magicians have always used drugs and different altered states of consciousness mm -hmm. and how to use them safely and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. As well as, I mean, I think basically what John Lilly and Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson, these other 1960s, 70s characters that were exploring psychedelics were doing was very, very similar to what you would call magic. Oh I mean, yeah, absolutely. Call it that, although both Leary and Robert Anton Wilson were really quite obsessed with Aleister Crowley, mm -hmm. but they were trying to alter reality, you know, in accordance mm -hmm. with their will, just using mm -hmm. drugs as an agent for that. And so I think it's interesting to look at what they were doing as a kind of another form of magic that could be undertaken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in most traditions, we're mentioning off air, like even Buddhism, like within Buddhism and Hinduism. <clears throat> There's a book you mentioned earlier is by another another Crowley. It's uh, Drugs in Buddhism, I think was the name, right? The Secret Drugs of Buddhism. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's one I definitely want to check out. But like the more you look into these traditions, like all over the world, whether it's shamanistic cultures, obviously everyone knows about ayahuasca. That's kind of that's been kind of blown up you know, <laughs> quite a bit. But um, I mean, pretty much all around the world, there's uh, these psychedelic chemicals have been used in pretty much every tradition by either shamans or priests or yogis right soma is a big thing that you hear about in like the vedas and other uh hindu scriptures as well right and i just got back right. from nepal and i heard about some there's all these ones that people don't even know about like this honey that they take that has like it's almost like psilocybin or something in it so maybe some sort of fungus in it or something i don't know but there's just so many so many different um like sacraments that people use to for self-exploration and magic and spirituality mm -hmm. so <clears throat> well i think I think sex and drugs have always been the most reliable methods for reaching altered states of consciousness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and or energy enhancement. It's those are like batteries of energy that you can access. If you're trained, then you can direct that energy to different purposes, you know, whether you're exploring sort of sexuality in a more tantric or yogic kind of practice where you can then direct that energy up into higher areas of the body for mm -hmm. realizations or for even just energy to nourish and saturate certain parts of your body or for magic, like to send that out on a, in a particular intention to empower a particular mm -hmm. intention and with psychedelics. It's this, the same thing. So mm -hmm. those two being probably the most powerful means mm -hmm. of achieving gnosis it seemed silly to not include them. <laughs> you know oh, what no, I mean? No. Yeah. And also just every, almost everybody has either done them <laughs> or is doing them, but yet you don't actually see it talked a lot in contemporary magical literature. And I think that's interesting why people would pretend like they aren't or haven't when they really have a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is something that's, uh, I mean, not in Crowley as much, but in some other literature, it's something that's a little more hidden or like, there, there's a lot of speculation whether Dee and Kelly were doing psychedelics because there's like, right. uh, 
there's a lot of literature where Kelly, who was the scryer, right? Like he, there's a mention of some sort of powder that he had in his thing. Like, oh, he, uh, the spirit said, the Enochian angel said, like, you need your powder. You don't, you know, you're low on powder or something like that, right? And so it's mm -hmm. like something that's sort of uh, like hidden within all these traditions and sort of signaled that, right? And so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a book called Angels in Vermilion that's all about that. Mm -hmm. about John Dee and Edward Kelly. And I, I forget the name of the author, but he believes that they were using some kind of a DMT mm -hmm. concoction. Right, right, right. Exactly. opened up those trances right. and allowed him to see into the other dimensions where he could communicate with the angels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another book called, uh, I think it's called Liber 420, and, uh, or Liber 420. And yeah, that, that talks a lot about just like, cannabis and all these traditions as well as other psychedelics that are pretty much alluded at in these texts right and that you know <clears throat> people often overlook right and so uh yeah leary's eight circuit model of consciousness which is sort of that was the inspiration i believe for um robert anton wilson's uh prometheus rising like his whole circuit right, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then it's interesting too, if people are uh, interested a lot in the psychedelics, MAPS is doing some interesting research right now. Now that like psychedelics are kind of, um, they're getting a lot more funding and a lot, you know, they're getting legalized in some states back in America and they're actually finally coming back around because in the sixties, there was so much research done, which was halted by, you know, Nixon. And they, they saw it sort of as dangerous, uh, like a social uh, catalyst that would like stop people from supporting the Vietnam War and you know all, all of the agendas basically it's pretty much you know it's because the hippies what happened was Leary brought it into the public sphere and then the hippie movement took it on and then you know they saw this as sort of a dangerous thing right like a dangerous social movement and so uh sort of stripping stripping away psychedelics was kind of or like demonizing them right when at the same time the CIA was doing research and you know, physicians were doing research that just showed so, so many um, like bene beneficial applications to psychedelics, mental health problems, PTSD. Now that that's finally all coming full circle, like 60 years later, right? So pretty yeah. interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. <clears throat> so you have here, let's see, go through 10. Okay, this one was about sex magic. This was really cool that you had, a, I think you had like two or three different guests on this week. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this was really cool. There's so much to explore, obviously, sex magic. As we mentioned, sex and drugs are kind of, you know, the, the little hidden dirty secret of like a lot of these traditions, right? Whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, well, magic, right? Powerful methods of doing magic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I thought this was cool, though, because you had different perspectives too, right? You had um, uh, three different guests here and uh, yeah, just a lot to explore here for sure uh let's see go through here okay here you get into i think this is lon's lecture right yeah here you get into the hga did you have a lot of students debate about that's one big debate is like is the hga your higher genius your higher self is it uh like a familiar spirit you know that you're working with did you have a lot of students debate during this uh this week or not much or is that something that came up not so much I'm not mm -hmm. sure how many of the students have really done that type of work, like have mm -hmm. worked with Liber Semek or the other rituals that would be aimed at the Holy Guardian Angel. Mm -hmm. Have mm -hmm. you ever had an experience of invoking the Holy Guardian Angel? 
Um, I mean, I've done like Tifereth work. For me, it's more, I mean, I lean more towards like higher self and integration, if that makes sense, right? right? Or like living, sort of like how Lon, Lon actually is the best. I mean, if you want to view how I see it, it's like how Lon sees it, almost like, almost like a mystical Sufi sort of this like battery that loops off of itself, right? Like you love the universe and the, it's as much as you give is like as much as you receive. He, he, he explains it much more poetically and beautifully. So you definitely should listen to his lecture, but that's sort of my perspective, I, but yeah. It's kind of like the aspect of ourself that is outside of space and time and is deathless. You know, so it's like the immortal aspect of our consciousness that's right ever present has been existent before we were born and will be around after we die. And it's a way to get into that level of consciousness. And I guess if you're, you know, stationing at Tifereth, then ideally you're able to stabilize that level of consciousness. Although I don't know how many magicians have really been able to do that. It's hard to say, but I, I think I've had sort of glimpses at what that looks like, you know, yeah, visions so to speak but i don't know if i'm there full time or if sure. anyone is right, right i know right. that well, um, it's like the difference between glimpses versus stabilization right that's i think that's the yeah. key that's why we do our practice you know right well i mean even david schumacher talks about how it's kind of like a a marriage you know that you you have it's like a relationship that you have to maintain mm -hmm. and i think that i mean it's my guess that people don't necessarily have the HGA experience and then just stay that way permanently. Mm. Probably there are dips, you know, valleys and peaks, you know, different permutations of consciousness based on what that person is going through in their life and mm -hmm. how much practice they're doing or whatever, just their priorities and where their attention is going. Mm -hmm. So probably it's, it's like you can come up and see things from that level or or be in contact with the angel and then kind of get back into the mundane world and get bogged down with stuff and then go back up. That's my guess. Yeah. 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 That sounds accurate. That sounds accurate. Um, <clears throat> I think one thing uh, kind of brings to mind here is that there's so many different models. I guess you do go over this in week one a little bit with Carl too. Right. Uh, is yeah. that like you have the, uh, what is it like the psychological model or the mental model? Everything's mine. And then you have like a spirit model, right? Everything's working with spirits. The guardian angels, strictly a spirit. All magic occurs through working with spirits, right? Um, well, what's your take on all these like conflicting models? Because what's funny is that if anyone goes on these, like for me personally, I'll give you my view. It's like, they're all working together, right? Like the mind is powerful. The mind, everything is mental, but at the same time, there are spirits. It's not, I don't see them as this huge conflict, right? But some people are like all in on one model or one mode of seeing things, right? What's your take on that? I guess it's kind of like our mental projections are so powerful that I think that if you invest into any one of those models, you're going to see that confirmed. And that's kind of yeah. foundational chaos magic. You know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's what yeah, I mean, one cool thing about like chaos Dr. magic. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. There's people like Dr. David Skinner, who, um, Stephen Skinner, I'm sorry, who is just full on spirit model. <laughs> Rick is working with spirits. It's always been working with spirits. That's what it is. That's how it works, you know? And I mean, if it works, if you're going for results, then it's fine. Whatever mm -hmm. model works, you know, right. if you're, and this could be something that's maybe even beyond our 
comprehension even, you know? Sure, sure. Absolutely. It's getting into really what reality is and how reality works in general. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. I think for me, like remaining fluid is important, right? Because like for me, certain times I want to use more energy practices. Like Damien Eccles is big on, you know, using energy, energy as being like the main component, right? Like when you do the middle pillar, it's like drawing as much energy as you can, right? Sort of almost like an energy model, right? And then there's like, like we said, like Skinner, who's like super like, it's all spirits, like working with the spirits, working with the grimoires, right? But uh, Mm -hmm. one thing that resonated with me is like that chaos magic approach of being able to switch, you know, not being so static in one, but being able to kind of pop in and out through different ways of seeing things and different practices, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I resonate a lot with that. Mm-hmm. All of those different perspectives. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the model from the kind of Obermellon perspective or whatever is that when you realize that your consciousness is coexistent with ultimate truth or God mm-hmm. or the, the creative force, then you are everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is your sandbox. This is your playground. Right. And at that point, you can manipulate reality in whatever way you want because you are the force that created it to begin with and i guess that's kind of my own personal perspective on magic but it's it's also a traditional perspective but yeah i entertain all of them i think the the psychological model works and it also depends on who i'm talking to you know i think that you kind of read different people by explaining it through these different models and people might not be open-minded enough to think about the existence of spirits but you can say something like oh no like an archangel is an archetype that relates to a particular kind of quality that we possess mm-hmm. you know mars mm-hmm. is our aggression or you mm-hmm. know what i mean so yeah. it's, it can be useful just as a form of communication to be able to switch in between these different perspectives as well exactly exactly um totally agree Let's see here. Yeah, this goes to the HGA stuff that we're talking about um, earlier. And then the final week uh, to go over some chaos magic and new thought. And that's kind of to bring it back to like the models, right? Like it's almost like what are your needs in the moment? Like for certain things, like something like like new thought, right? Like using like the power of your mind to manifest stuff. I mean, it's clearly effective, right? Like that has a, <clears throat> that has its time and place. And then also when you're doing something like, say you're working with spirits, like you're doing invocation or evocation, right? You might not necessarily be coming from this fully, everything is mind perspective, right? Like being able to fluidly jump through each one, I think it's very important. I mean, it's very important if you're going to do those specific practices, right? At least, at least be open-minded enough to like give it a chance, like try it out. That's, that's at least my perspective, you know, but um, uh, that being said, yeah, I thought this was really cool. I really like uh, Mitch Horowitz lecture. That was really good. And he's sort of like uh, one of the, um, what would you call him? Like the representative of new thought these days or sort of like one of the more prominent voices, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Definitely the most kind of intellectually and academically sophisticated mm-hmm. person in that field. Mm-hmm. Some I of my favorite that, podcasts, him on Duncan Trussell, he, he has like the best podcast yeah. of all time on Duncan Trussell's podcast. Like all of them, like his most recent one was super interesting. They're talking about like AI. And he has like some of the most interesting chats on that show, I swear to God. Yeah. I think Mitch is great. I've taken a bunch of his courses and mm-hmm. yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So yeah, this goes over new thought and um, chaos magic a bit. And then a great lecture with uh, Mitch Horowitz. 
And uh, there is a bonus session at the end, like clarification. Um, how about for people who sign up for this course late, like I'll, I'll include, of course, in the show notes here. Uh, for people who are interested, they watch this podcast, listen to the podcast, they want to go check this out. Um, are people, say if somebody signs up tomorrow, are they able to mm -hmm. still kind of like reach out to you and ask yeah. questions and stuff like that? Because as part of the, like, if you took this live, you, you're part of this like weekly uh, Zoom webinar, right? But um, right. where people could ask in real time. But for somebody who, who signs up, say, you know, tomorrow, uh, what's, what, what would be the process? Say they're like really confused on, uh, I don't know, choose that random, right? Or just new thought. They go through that. And, like, I don't really get this. How could they like reach out or ask questions? There's a Telegram group. That's the community group for the course. And it stayed really active even up until now. And people have you know, I wanted a community centered approach to this course and I wanted people to get to know each other and to build relationships. And so that telegram group is really for that, for people to just share and talk about whatever they're interested in or whatever questions they might have on the course. And I'd like to get into a regular flow of doing either a once a week or once a month meetup and to occasionally have guests sort of a private podcast for the community with different people. So that's something I intend to do moving into the future. I just haven't created the momentum around it quite yet, but definitely mm -hmm. on the horizon. And mm -hmm. then those would be open for anybody to ask questions if they wanted to, but they can always just message me on Telegram or post it in the group and I'll answer it. Okay, cool, cool. Do you see yourself making another like, I don't know, Magic 102 or 201 or whatever it be after 101? Do you see yourself making like a more like a, the advanced next course or intermediate or what have you? Sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I guess a big long-term vision would be to have some sort of physical school or something mm -hmm. with these types of teachers present to teach courses and things like that. But that would be mm -hmm. very long off. I would like to do more courses in the future because I really, really loved creating this. It definitely felt deeply aligned with my true will, whatever that is. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm currently working on organizing this retreat in Bali in December. That would be sort of the continuation of what we've already begun. Most of the people that are attending that so far have already done this course. So oh, I think cool. it'll be built off of so what's the plan? Uh, you mentioned this Bali retreat. When is it and what, uh, like, what's the layout? What's the structure of it? So the Bali retreat will be from December 7th till the 21st. And it's in this absolutely amazing retreat center called Bali Eco Stay, I think. It's incredible. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful retreat centers that I've been to in Bali. It's like in rural Bali in the middle of the island out the rice paddies with waterfalls. And it's just in nature. Is it in Ubud or which area? I'm curious. Uh, it's a, far away from Ubud. I wanted oh. it to be away from Ubud because I don't want people to come to the retreat <laughs> and just get like swept away with ecstatic dances and, you know. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's more, yeah, isolated. Yeah. 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 yeah so we're going okay, to be cool. more isolated there. People aren't going to be going in or out of the retreat center mm -hmm. during the time. And Carl Abrahamson and his wife, Vanessa Sinclair, are going to mm -hmm. come to teach chaos magic and also to guide um, creative processes of collage work. The idea is exploring the intersection of creativity and magic. So I'm a professional mm -hmm. artist and sure. uh, Izzy, my friend is also a professional painter and my friend Adam and mm -hmm. 
Masvidal is coming. He's like one of the greatest guitar players in the world. So we have all these different creative people that are coming who are also kind of magicians or spiritual practitioners. And then we have a few people that are coming who are full-time magicians and who have published books around the subject. And it's sort of an exploration into how we can use our creativity for magic and to create change in accordance with our will. So we'll be doing a lot of magical exercises and group rituals Mm -hmm. and sort of meditations and practices and group work to discover what our desires, our intentions and what our true will really is. And then we're going Mm -hmm. to be learning all of these different creative techniques, you know, writing, songwriting, music, painting, digital art, collage, and exploring all these different creative mediums with you know, professionals and experts that do those types of creative mediums to sort of create hyper sigils or sigils mm-hmm. that would be represented and charged through our, our creativity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the idea of it. And it's just going to also be an incredible way to connect with community and to hopefully sort of build a, a kind of new tribe you know mm-hmm. it's like i don't really i've never really seen something like this before and i'm kind of just looking at it from the perspective of if i could attend the most amazing retreat <laughs> that i this is what it would be because right you know i think what they were doing with the temple of psychic youth was kind of closest to what i would want to participate in as a kind of magical order community but it doesn't really exist anymore but you know carl was right. one of the the founders and organizers of that. And so him being there, I kind of have taken a lot of inspiration from that. And I want to sort of mm-hmm. try to continue to build a, a community around that, like the That's intersection awesome. of culture, creativity and magic and self-transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that was a really attractive about Topi for me. It's like they're, you know, they use like, especially looking at their old stuff, this is like in the eighties and uh, like looking at psychic TV, just using the medium of the time, right? Like, music videos and different methods of creativity to um, kind of merge with magic at the same time. And as you mentioned, you don't really see as much of that these days, right? Like, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's cool that, you know, organize a retreat. And I, I like how you add in the creative aspects of music and you mentioned, are there going to be like art classes as well or any, yeah. any kind of like music separate uh, music classes and things like this as well? I mean, I think okay. there will be people mm-hmm. that are going to attend that are mm-hmm. more heavily interested in one art form or the other so Mm -hmm. paul will be there to instruct people in music if that's what people want to learn and to work with him maybe more extensively if they're not as interested in the visual art aspects of it i'll be there teaching visual art adam Mm -hmm. paquette will be teaching visual art and my friend izzy ivy so the three of us will be kind of doing that and well and uh, also carl and vanessa are visual artists carl's a filmmaker Mm -hmm. in Vanessa and Carl both do collage as Mm -hmm. per the sort of tradition of the temple of psychic youth as well so Mm -hmm. yeah there's going to be a lot of different creative exploration so whether people are more experienced in a particular art form say they already have experience painting or with music it's a good place to go to go deeper into those practices Mm -hmm. and if you're somebody that's sort of just exploring what your creativity is it's -hmm. also a great place to go and just be able to learn from all these people and have different perspectives and be introduced to new ways of expressing yourself Hmm. i'm curious like for people like obviously you know some people are gonna have to set up time and you know what'd you say it's two weeks it's uh the seventh no three weeks two weeks oh two it's uh seventh to the 21st is that right 
And then where can where can actually maybe I can pull it up now? Do you have a um, yeah, website where uh, can people find it? Bollyartmagicretreat.com. Art magic retreat. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Yeah, so people can find it here at Bali Art Magic Retreat. And uh, mm -hmm. I was kind of curious too, like say, uh, have you considered um, streaming this as well? Like what if there's people yeah. who, oh, are, yeah. is, that, is that something that That's you're going to That's already do? on the website and it's okay. available for people that can't attend the lectures. I and mean, we can't stream everything. You know, we're going sure, to be sure. <laughs> yeah. in right. spaces. We might do rituals <laughs> on a confidential and whatever. And people um, want their privacy yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but the lectures and the workshops are going to be streamed and recorded. I think that the time difference is going to be a little challenging for some people that are in the U.S. or whatever. So that it'll be recorded and accessible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, people can join in over Zoom and potentially even ask questions and things like that if they wanted to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, somebody actually asked me, uh, I mentioned I'm having a podcast with you. What do you think about like art and creativity as solely as a spiritual path? Like, do you see any sort of separation or how do you distinguish these two things? Well, I think if you look at all of the world's spiritual traditions, art has always existed as a fundamental part of that, you know, all the way back to the the oldest, the oldest surviving art we have are the cave paintings that were probably temples. It's sacred art, mm -hmm. you know, and some of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had have been creating art where you open mm -hmm. yourself up to something that moves through you and mm -hmm. you're a channel or you just can surrender mm -hmm. and sort of be taken into the arms of some other force that works through you. Mm -hmm. That is an incredibly spiritual as well as magical experience because you're giving birth to something that never existed before which is also part of what magic is so i think that having a creative art form as a spiritual path is a is a beautiful way to explore and express creativity and mm -hmm. spirituality yeah you know, that's sure. kind of what that's sort of what alex gray is in his uh, organization the chapel of sacred mirrors is centered around as like a church for creativity as a spiritual path and i'm Right. In full support of that, I think that that's a beautiful path if that's what you want to take. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, after having, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It also does produce kind of like a meditative state of focus, you know, yeah. that can be, you know, these creative flow states can be just as powerful as different states of consciousness that you might reach through yogic techniques or through ritual. Yeah, I was curious, like sometimes I'm sure sometimes you have experiences where say you take a psychedelic or you, you do ritual and you have very, these visionary experiences that later on you want to, you know, paint or uh, have represented or express in some way. But are there mm -hmm. other times where kind of like, as you mentioned earlier, like you just sort of enter a flow state without any, you know, previous experience or vision and sort of it comes to you in That's the moment. That's how it mostly is for me. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Most, no, the, the second one then basically in the moment yeah the second one most mm -hmm. of my best works are were created that way sometimes it's a clear vision mm -hmm. that can feel almost like an assignment or something like that you know like this thing wants to exist and i'm the one to kind of get that call to be the one to realize it but mm -hmm. if i have a sort of consistent practice of creating art a lot of the time it's just kind of opening up to whatever wants to come through and it surprises me what comes through. 
sometimes I don't even know what it means until later. You know, for me, it's, it's, it can be rather abstract, not so. I think there's different kinds of artists and different creative processes. I don't really use my intellect a lot when it comes to producing art, but some people do. You know, I've had friends and associates that are really, really heady about mapping out all the different symbols and how they want something to look to communicate a particular vision or an intention. And that's not really how I create. And actually, that's why it's so kind of nourishing for me. And it's sort of a meditation because I can sit down and paint and I'm somebody who has a very active mind generally. And for some mm. reason, when I paint, it kind of turns that off and I go into more of a flow state. It's very therapeutic in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. Do you have i uh, I'm curious because your artwork is amazing. It's incredible. And people can check it out. What on your Instagram, Jake Cobran or, uh, yeah, probably the best place to see it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I'm curious, like when you, as you mentioned, you know, you get into these flow states, do you have a process before say today you're going to paint, do you do it sporadically mm -hmm. or do you, you know, start with like a ritual or meditation? I'm curious, like, is there any, like, you know, or, or is it just really, Depending I really wish I was time. more disciplined when it came to, I, I said I really wish I was more disciplined when it came to creating art. <laughs> you know, I, I know artists that it's like, yeah, I'm in the studio at nine and I'm there every day till five. And I don't know, that's not really how it works for me. And it comes mm -hmm. in, it comes in spurts where there are periods of my life where I feel almost possessed by these creative impulses mm -hmm. and I just need to create these things and I'll go into a deep creative flow for a few months or whatever and create mm -hmm. a lot of art that all comes out really spontaneously and effortlessly. And then other times it's just like nothing, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know where the vein went. I can't like tap it. And right. I've just, I used to get really frustrated with that, but now I've learned to just kind of, it's okay. It's fine. It's just part of the cycles. Mm -hmm. And I just, orient my attention towards different things. So like lately I've been working more on the book, which is a bit more of a kind of, a, I guess it's more hoed than net sock, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so it's sort of, uh, okay, so the net sock energy is not really coming through right now. It's like, I can focus my attention where that energy seems exalted and really active. And so I just work with that. So for me, I, I have so many other interests that if, painting isn't really coming through. I can just put my attention into something else. And I, I tend to go through different phases in my life where I have sort of a, a particular project or type of mm -hmm. thing that I'm creating that sort of takes over as the main focus at any given time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah it's very interesting hearing like the process of different artists, like whether it's a painter or a musician or like a stand-up comedian, right? And I, it almost seems like there is a degree of like, you do have to kind of go out there and live your life like and have experiences and do different things because oh. that's that's kind of like where inspiration comes from right whereas like it's sort of if you're forcing it right then it's sort of i mean it's not going to be a very inspiring piece anyways whether it's a you know stand-up bit or you know a piece of music right like that's why they say a lot of bands like their first album's the best or whatever right like oh that album's <laughs> yeah. sick original awesome and then it's like they're kind of forcing it on the second album or um or even for like a comedian right like all the like their second specials all like on the road bits at hotels like the same hotel jokes or airplane jokes right but it's like you have to have be out there and have experience and uh learn not to force things right learn to take in experiences and the inspiration of the moment as well right yeah 
yeah. I mean, a lot of artists are inspired by you know heartbreak and 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 the chaos and disorder in mm-hmm. their lives. And uh, you know, I don't know. These in- intense emotional experiences can be sources of inspiration. For me, it could that inspiration could come from you know reading a book that gives me some new idea that I didn't have before or exploring a new technique sometimes is very inspiring Mm -hmm. for me, like creating art in a way I've never made it before. Like lately I've been exploring AI technology and that's been cool. Um, Or traveling to a new place, you know, falling in love can be very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you just need to get sort of empty enough to allow things to come through also just taking time in silence or doing nothing not distracting yourself but just sort of allowing your mind to really empty and sometimes a lot of creative insight and inspiration can come through that oh for sure always help me too so being what say that again in nature Oh, nature. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's one great thing about Bali is like, there's anywhere in the world to have a retreat. I mean, it's an incredible place. <clears throat> I'd spend, mm-hmm. I spent a month there, maybe like three years ago. And it's a really beautiful island. I mean, there's just different, like each little area is so different. And, you know, you have their, they have their own spiritual practices as well there. And it's cool, because you see all these different, like, remember all the little Ganesh statues everywhere, you have like Hindu traditions there, Buddhism, you have their own like shamanistic culture as well. And, we're just like walking down the street and you'll see this like cool festival going on and they're doing ritual in the street, you know, different mm-hmm. aspects. And it's, it's a very interesting place to go. And I think that it's cool that you're doing it in a very remote place because I think a lot of people who do go to Bali, they stick around, like, like they only stay in Kuta or Seminyak or Chenggu and they never really like explore the Island. You know what I mean? Like I remember yeah. going to certain parts of Bali where I was the only foreigner there. Right. And it's like, yeah, well, totally. it's not, you know, this is not the typical one week in whatever, right? Isolated beach club event or whatever, right? So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, just where the retreat is located is going to be in the center of Bali in a more rural location. And then we're also going to have some excursions and we're going to experience mm-hmm. some traditional Balinese ceremonies and mm, cool. like that, uh, go to water temples and mm-hmm. get blessings from priests and things like that, which I think is going to be really powerful. They have their own form of magic that's really kind of, uh, you know, tightly lidded. I would really love to learn more mm-hmm. and to be able to find somebody to teach me more, but it's even for a Balinese person, mm-hmm. hard to learn unless you belong to a particular caste and born sure. into a particular family and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they actively practice magic, both white and black, and it's part of their culture. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very deep. It's, it's just that those practices are very guarded. But the Balians, like the high priests of Bali, they are also magicians of sorts and mm-hmm. we'll be meeting some of them and getting to experience a bit of their, you know, customary spiritual practices as well as part of the retreat. That's awesome. Yeah, Bali is one of the few places in the world, like I've been a handful of places in my life. You do feel like a special energy there, a special current, as cheesy as oh, that yeah. sounds, right? Like, you know, you know, there are definitely like these areas on the earth or places that you go that you feel it's almost like palpable when I first arrived in Bali like there's something not just the way things look or the food or this or that but there's a almost like a palpable mm-hmm. current there would be how I describe it and other places are like Maui was like that to a degree whereas that's where like Ram Dass had his you know retreat center 
And then um, mm. like Nepal, of course, being up in the Himalayas and like going to all these caves, like Padmasambhava's cave where he did, you know, wow. practice Tantra. I got to go into that. That was pretty cool. Like you could feel these like palpable currents around you, right? So there, there mm. definitely is places on the earth, like just visiting a place like that can be extremely, you know, change your perspective and illuminating in some regard, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's your little, uh, your bio here, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm curious too, like what's cool about this is I'm sure a lot of people that maybe they took your magic one-on-one course or they practice magic on their own and they're used to sort of, um, a ceremony, they're practicing magic and ceremonies as a solo practitioner. Right. But, uh, what would you say is like the benefit or like, like how important are these group rituals or how can that change somebody? How is that different than just doing it on your own? I think it's going to be really powerful because every person that's involved in the ceremony can boost the signal. So the way I'm envisioning it is that each person has a chance to kind of take the center stage and then every person's in support of that person while they're sort of performing their magic in whatever way that looks mm-hmm. and lending energy to it. And I've experienced that myself with groups of friends and I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. uh, I remember in modern magic, Donald Michael Craig saying that it would, you know, s- square. So it's like two, four, eight, you know, et, et cetera. The, um, the idea being that it's not just like it, 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 you know, it's not just like two, then three, it, it actually boosts the signal so much more to have several people performing magic at once and like lending their energy together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think and it some also people are going to come to the retreat. They've never done any type of magical practice before. And then there's people that are going to come to the retreat that have their own covens or that are very practiced. So it's going to be interesting to have this group of people that are going to all be at different levels of experience. Sure, sure. And I think it's sort of like being in a group environment. I mean, not only do you have that sense of community and support, as you mentioned, right? And sort of it amplifies the current, but I think for a lot of people doing solo practice uh, versus doing a group, it almost forces you to put yourself in this vulnerable position, whether that's in a passive state or something, which can be very valuable. It's like, you know, it's something that you can guard if you're doing it on your own. Right. But when you're in a group environment, um, there, there is a value to like express or having that state of vulnerability. I think if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think vulnerability is going to be, kind of an essential aspect of the retreat in general, we're definitely going to be doing some deep work together and that that's going to help create this really sacred bond with everybody that's participating in the retreat together. And I think that these are going to be lifelong relationships. Oh, for sure. For sure. We're going to form. And I see it. I want, you know, I really want this community, you know, I want it. I already have it like online, but I want like a real life community around these things that we're all collectively interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I see this retreat as kind of the start of being able to explore that. And maybe that will take form in the future in some kind of more established space or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like long-term, so you see the uh, retreat is sort of the beginning to um, I'm sure people will keep in touch. It'll be a sense of community, but Perhaps someday, you said you mentioned long-term, maybe having like an actual, like a full-time retreat center, or like a full-time school perhaps in the future, or just, you know, maybe these uh, quarterly or yearly um, retreats. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think doing 
yearly retreats could be the beginning. And then maybe eventually some people might want to immigrate to Bali and, and sort of have some more regular correspondence or something like that. I think that the school having some kind of a mystical or magical school is a collective vision. It's not necessarily just my vision. It's something that I've desired since I was a kid when I was reading Harry Potter books. And I think that there's a lot of people that also would love for something like that to exist. And as far as I know, it, it doesn't. And mm-hmm. I, t- I talk to a lot of people, friends that I meet here and I ask them, well, what's your vision? What do you want to create in your life? And a lot of the times people actually say that that is their vision, mm-hmm. you know? So it seems that many people have this kind of collective shared vision. And so eventually someday, maybe it's 10 years from now or whatever, we can work together and pool our resources and our skills to actually make that happen. Oh yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Um, yeah. So people can check out, um, I mean, the website, there's so much information here that people can scroll through. You have information about the guests, um, where it's taking place. Uh, the accommodation I think is on here as well, right? Uh, the prices and accommodation. And then as you mentioned for people who, you know, can't make it to Bali, there is an option maybe down here somewhere for, uh, like a streaming option as well. Right. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, streaming of workplace via zoom. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. looks really cool. looks like a great opportunity for a lot of people to go check it out. Um, what, uh, I guess is for somebody who sees this and they're really interested in it, what, how could somebody best prepare for this retreat? Would you say to go through the magic one-on-one course or do you, would you have any, um, you know, advice or, uh, you know, guidelines for that? I don't think you necessarily need to do anything before the retreat to prepare for it, because I think the retreat is going to be a unique experience that there isn't necessarily any prerequisites for, you know, it's fine. If you have no magical experience, it's fine. If you have no experience with art, you're going to be in the right place for that to be nurtured for you and to be in a safe place to explore that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely doing the magic one-on-one course before doing the retreat can't hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. because then you'd have a deeper understanding of what magic is, And so you'd be able to kind of go deeper into those practices, or if you wanted to already begin to explore some type of a creative path, whether that's painting or making music, that could also be a good way to prepare. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, I would uh, say like it might be ideal if people can come either. Yeah, probably if people could come a little bit earlier my experience with going to Bali is it takes at least a couple of weeks to kind of adjust to the time difference and sort of acclimate to being there. Mm-hmm. So I know that a lot of people can't do that, but if you're in a position where you could take a month off and go to Bali and do the mm-hmm. retreat as part of that, it might be better. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I remember uh, when I was there, like I was there a month and like the second day I had, they called it Bali belly, you know, it's like, yeah. cause you're, you're getting used to the different water and the food and everything. And I felt like really sick the second day, but after that I was totally fine. Like just, you know, totally accustomed to it. So yeah, like you said, jet lag, I would say, yeah, for sure. If you're coming from America or something and huge time difference, try to make a couple days on like the front and back end for jet lag and stuff like that, for sure. Yeah, totally. I think I'll send some information Mm -hmm. to all the participants about just what to expect Mm -hmm. and what is good to know when you come to Bali. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to try to provide as much as I can to make the experience as easy as possible for people who have never been here before. For sure. Yeah, it sounds good. 
All right. Well, uh, I think we covered a lot, went over the Magic 101 course a little bit, gave a preview of that, and then your upcoming uh, Magic Art Retreat in Bali. Is there any other uh, projects you're working on or any other things you want to discuss? Um, well, like I mentioned before, I'm working on this book, but that's not going to be available for a long time. And yeah, not really. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, it was really, uh, really fun to chat about all this. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, what's the best place like Instagram or where, where should Instagram I? Instagram is the best yeah. place to find me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for hopping on uh, the podcast today. And until uh, next time. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. And thanks everybody for taking this time out to listen. Cool. Hold on a second. Let me make sure I uh, stop this.